Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about marketing analytics in tech. And to help us understand what working in the space is like, our guest today is Ian Modoc, and he is Senior Manager for Marketing Analytics at a company called Twilio. That's spelled as T-W-I-L-I-O. And for those of you who haven't heard about this company in the past, this is a cloud communications platform that was started here in Silicon Valley in 2007 and they went public in June 2016. So yeah, they've done really, really well, very high growth. And Ian has been working with them for about a year and a half now. He has a bachelor's in electrical engineering from University of Houston, and he has an MBA with a focus on marketing and operations from the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. Now, a very quick housekeeping note before we get into the discussion. If you haven't subscribed to LED's newsletter already, you should. It's really good. I know I've mentioned this a few times in the past, so I apologize if I sound like a broken record. But just to make sure that you are aware, there is a weekly newsletter that we send out, which has updates on new episodes, as well as a lot of other resources, both career resources, as well as general inspiring life advice. So if you haven't subscribed, go to learneducatediscover.com where you can subscribe. Also, I should point out that if you're using Gmail for your emails, then the newsletter lands in the promotions tab. So if any of you have signed up for the newsletter but haven't seen any emails yet, it's probably because you just haven't seen that the emails are going in the promotions tab. So just go to the promotions tab, search for hello at learneducatediscover.com. That'll bring up the emails and if you want, you can just drag and drop the email into your primary tab. That way you will not miss any subsequent emails. So with that note, let's now welcome Ian. Hi, Sonali. How's it going? Hey, Ian. How are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, I remember back when I was at UPenn, from I, from I was there from 2011 to 2013, and I think Twilio was on campus for a hackathon, and I didn't have anything to do in the hackathon because I don't code. <laughs> but uh, I think they were there either in 2012 or 2013. And now I wish uh, I... Yeah. Were you there? Oh, no, I actually wasn't there, but I do know that they did a, a 2012 uh, a hackathon there. Oh, I see. Yeah, because I was wondering that, man, I wish I had joined the company because they IPO recently <laughs> and maybe I could have retired by now. But anyway, so could you give us a very quick, very, very quick summary of what Twilio does for people who might not be familiar with the company? Uh, sure thing. So Twilio is a communications platform for uh developers and companies who want to engage with their uh, customers in different ways. Uh, so the best examples that we generally give is, uh, so say uh, you get a text message from somebody uh, or you say you order something online and uh, you get, it's delivered to your apartment and you get the notification, you get a text message that says your item has been delivered. Uh, Twilio powers certain application developers to include those kind of features in their apps. 
um, so that they can focus on actually being able to do the development them doing do the actual development of the service rather than worrying about the communications back end. Right, right. Um, yeah, I've heard it's 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 very very popular. Pretty much any programmer now who wants to have some sort of messaging capability in their app would use Twilio as the provider. We like to think so. Yeah. So, uh, so you're doing marketing analytics now at Twilio, and how long has it been? Uh, so I've been here for almost a year and a half. Yeah, uh, yeah I joined the summer of 2016. Gotcha, yeah. So uh, you graduated from Wharton in 2013. Actually, can you give us a very quick summary of your background and what got you interested in marketing analytics? Uh, sure. So it goes back to uh, my undergraduate where I was uh, an electrical engineer. Um, and so I did hardware engineering for a couple of years and uh, some exciting work. I worked for the International Space Station, which was super fun. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was my first job out of college. I did it for uh, just a little bit over two years. Um, but I did miss actually working for customers, uh, which led me to actually which what led me to uh, Wharton uh, to get my MBA. When I was there roughly the same time you were. Okay. And um, and. During that time, I really discovered my passion for analytics. I think coming from that engineering background, I discovered I already had that affinity for numbers. Mm-hmm. And this uh, field seemed very fitting for that. And then also the two things that interested me were tech and entertainment, which led me to actually, after graduating from Wharton, going to work in video gaming. Um, and that's where I actually got my practical knowledge of analytics before this was my first real job in the field. Um, and I did uh, I did everything from like game design analytics to operations analytics and uh, to marketing analytics to strategy analytics. And I'm more than happy to talk through the differences between those if you have those questions. Um, But then uh, as luck would have it, I was looking for opportunities in the Bay Area and I came across Twilio at the perfect time. They were just uh, announced they were going public and they were looking to hire a marketing analytics manager, and uh, I fit the bill to luckily that they were looking for, and mm-hmm. I've uh, been doing it ever since. Awesome. All right. So I I will get to analytics, but I'm so curious, what did you do for the International Space Station? Uh, sure. Uh, so uh, there's a job in, in, in NASA where it's called safety and mission insurance, and you're responsible for essentially making sure that any hardware or that goes to the space station or any procedures that the astronauts do don't like pose risk of harm to them or doesn't for lack of a better word, like damage the space station. Um, and so those are, there's a team of engineers who work on different systems on the space station. And my responsibility was I was uh, an engineer specifically focused on uh, the computer systems and the antennas and a little bit of power generation for the international space station, uh, making sure that all the stuff we sent up there uh, kept our astronauts awesome. safe. That's very cool. All right. I would say that what you're doing now does not sound as exciting, but I'm sure you think, I'm sure you think differently. So, so you, what you mentioned is that when you graduated from Wharton at that time, uh, that was the time when you got interested in tech and entertainment, and you also mm-hmm. got interested in analytics. So what about analytics? What is it about this field that attracts you to it? Um, I think it's really its ability to explain things. Um, generally speaking, there's a whole lot of concept you learn in a lot of schools and a lot of uh, in theory that you learn, especially uh, getting an MBA. Um, and analytics actually allows to kind of get through, like weave the thread from the theory to the practical world of like, yes, this is what we believe should happen based off of 
anecdotal evidence throughout the history of mankind, but analytics actually uh, has been able to tell us, like, specifically for our given situation, what's the world look like? Um, so it's just kind of a, to me, it's kind of shining light in the darkness. Um, and as a person who likes to ask a lot of questions, that kind of works for me. Um, and then the other great thing about it is that um, it's useful for so many different areas. Um, as I've seen through my short career, a lot of teams can use it and a lot of teams need it and they don't even know they need it. So the opportunity to actually yeah. help them develop analytical mindsets um, is exciting to me. Okay. So how would you describe marketing analytics then? Uh, so marketing analytics could be a variety of things. Um, but the general idea is that you're targeting towards two main things. One is actually acquiring customers. So uh, that could be assessing the effect, the effectiveness of email campaigns and determining new opportunities for that. It could be social media advertising and determining what's the right dollar spend uh, to get the best return on investment um, for different social uh, media advertising. Um, it could be, uh, is it worth it to host events? Um, so there's kind of that element of getting people to use or buy your product. Um, but then there's the next step of actually not only getting people to do that initial engagement, but to actually increase their engagement with you. Uh, you don't want somebody to just come to you one time, especially in most tech companies. You want them to stay with you. You want them to want you want them to want to grow with you. And so you want to also assess the effectiveness of marketing efforts um, mm -hmm. in the area of retaining, engaging and like growing with your customers too. Makes sense. All right. So uh, so as you mentioned that they are primarily at least in your job right now, you're looking at two primary goals. One is how can we acquire more customers? And then how can we engage our customers even more? And so with those goals in mind, you're analyzing data from various sources, whether whether that's your email campaigns or social media campaigns or a whole host of other things. Uh, yes. Right. So is, is this then a function? Why is it called marketing analytics? Is it is it a marketing role i mean i do you do you, uh, do you report into marketing uh yes yeah. so i report into marketing and that's the way we structure it um i will say that i've seen it where there's a central analytics team and different people have specialties but the reason why this with the functions that i've described specifically are called marketing analytics is because that's generally what most companies especially in the tech space i should say um consider to be uh marketing um you usually hire campaign managers, product marketing managers, and those kinds of jobs with the idea of their goal is to um, get people to use the product, get people to engage with the product, and get mm -hmm. people to stay and grow with the product. So it's just kind of like that's what the idea of marketing is. And then the analytics part just kind of fits in, the marketing analytics kind of fits in right there. Right, makes sense. And so you, you actually answered a part of the question that I was about to ask you, which is that in your company right now, you're reporting into marketing, but in some other companies, it might be a central analytics team, which uh, yes. which has a marketing function. They may, there may be other functions. So uh, is, is this primarily a tech role, though? Like, do you find it in other industries? Uh, yes, I'm, you do. Um, I will say that I've never, I haven't seen it as prevalent as I see it in tech. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's just the nature of analytics in general, that it's a little bit more prevalent in tech. But there are other companies who are in industries that do it. Um, for example, CPG um, invests heavily in marketing analytics, uh, and that's consumer pro uh, packaged goods, uh, right. just in case for people who need to know. Um, but they invest heavily in marketing analytics because marketing is a key driver for revenue for them. 
Mm. Um, so in fact, some of the first studies that I was recommended to do when I got out of business school was actually to read up on the work that the CPG companies did. Right. That makes sense. I mean, they've been the pioneers in marketing for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but is, is it, I mean, I, it's not that relevant to the discussion, but is marketing analytics called the same thing over there or is it called something else? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I know they use the term because mm. I've been able to search the term and, you know, look up references for the term. Um, but I don't know if that's the exact title that they use. Gotcha. Um, that's actually a great question. Now that you said it, I'm curious myself. <laughs> <All right. laughs> for your future exit options, right? You want to know. <laughs> anyway. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, can you share examples of some projects you might have worked on in, in, in the realm of marketing analytics? Uh, sure. So um, let's see. Um, so one of the things I'm heavily focused on right now is actually doing a lot of analysis of our uh, website. For a lot of companies, especially in the tech space, uh, the website is a very important piece of the engagement with your customers, especially that initial engagement. Um, it's where people first really get an impression of who you are and what you say you are. And so a lot of work I do right now is actually doing analysis into, you know, where are people coming to our website from? Are they coming from the places that we invest in? Are they coming from places that, uh, that are just kind of the natural organic nature of the world? Um, are they typing our name into their browser and just going to Twilio.com? And then taking that next step of, you know, where do they land on when do Where do they land in our website? And then what is that journey from them to either getting on our website and deciding that nah, it's not for me and leaving or determining that Twilio's exactly what I need and I need to sign up now. Um, so like doing those journey mappings of our customers is actually a very big project that I'm working on now. And the idea is that that is our first, that is our first step to uh, getting, a, you know, getting a lot of customers. Makes sense. So in terms of understanding your goal then, so let's say you're doing this analysis of the traffic to the website and you find out that, oh, it looks like most people are coming to Twilio.com through, let's say, Reddit. I'm just making it up. But let's say they're coming from Reddit. So then if you provide that insight, the outcome of this insight would be that now Twilio goes ahead and increases their engagement on Reddit so that even more people come from Reddit. Right. That could be a possibility or they could or they, they, at least it raises the question of which uh, of is Reddit worth inv investing in? We might previously have not even put Reddit on our radar, hmm. hypothetically speaking. Um, but then if we say that 20 percent of our audience hypothetically is coming from Reddit, then what we then can do is say, well, should we invest in actually having somebody staffed with creating Reddit comments or maybe we should uh, or maybe Reddit as the uh, as an audience pool is kind of tapped out and it's at we're just going to get what we get from them. But maybe it's not worth growing because there's not a lot more people there. But it creates the it creates the initial discussion and actually might make room for further analysis down the line of what are the next things we should be doing as a company. Right, 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 right. So let's go one level deeper into this project, right? Can you walk us through the stages in the project just to give an idea about the kind of activities you might engage in when you're working on something like this? Sure. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it starts with, it usually starts with a very general question. Um, how good is our website working? Could be something that general. And in this case, it was a little bit more specific than that, but I've gotten projects where it's very much that. Hmm. Um, and uh, just and a quick clarification there, who asked this question? 
Uh, so it could be a variety of people. Um, it could be your chief marketing officer. It, it could be the person in charge of the website. In this case, it was a collaboration between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a unified uh, agreement that um, deeper analysis needed to be done in the website. We were, we were doing great maintenance analysis, but it was time to do like the state of the union for the website kind of analysis, uh, making sure that we were capturing all the right opportunities. Um, and so through their engagement with each other, it was decided that we needed to do this analysis. And so they approached my team of saying, did we have the bandwidth and did we have, and did we agree with the prioritization of it? And which of course we did, hence why I'm working on it. But, um, (laughs) and so, yeah, so then the question really was, are people finding the, the real question that was asked for us was, are people finding what they need on our website? And that was actually two things. One is uh, are we getting people to sign up to be customers of Twilio on our website? Like, you know, what percent of people are actually signing up? Um, and then the next question is, we want to make sure that we're sending the right people to the right channels so that they can actually get use out of us. And so there's those kind of questions of, are we sent, is the website sending the right people to the right places? Um, and those are the initial questions. And so then became, then the conversation became, well, what do we, then I, I responded back with, well, what do you want the website to do? Because the, the, the I can give, and this is a trapping of analytics, is you can give you can give tons of information. There's always data about websites because uh, every day there's somebody new visiting your website. Um, but what you really want to do is be able to give insight that uh, drives decision making. Um, I just listened to somebody say they hate the term actionable, actionable insights. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think all insights should be actionable or they're not insights. Yeah. But I'm going to use the term today uh, that you you really want to make sure your insights are actionable. And so for that, you want uh, to make sure that you know what people are asking, like why they're asking the questions they're asking. And so that through that conversation, I got a list of things that people want our website to do. And then I can then test against that with the data that we have with our tools um, to see if the website's actually doing those things. And if not, then start doing deep dive analysis of uh, uh, why that's not happening or if it's exceeding expectations, why that's happening. Mm -hmm. So in in this step of of, uh, the step from you clarifying the question so that you're absolutely clear what is it that we are driving towards to you Mm -hmm. then actually doing the analysis are you the one who is, and I'm getting a little bit tactical, I guess, but yeah, go for it. are you or someone on your team is literally uh, writing some sort of query or something to pull in data from the database and you're figuring out, okay, th- these are the metrics that I should be looking at to provide an answer? Uh, yes, um, more or less, yes. Usually if it's a large scale project, it almost exactly works like that. Um, so you scope out, uh, what are the needs to answer the questions that both you and the, uh, for lack of a better word, internal customer mm-hmm. um, are agree are relevant? Um, and then if it's a deep and if it's an extensive project, yes, it usually includes writing SQL queries, um, uh, which is our, you know, the dominant query language in the industry. However, thanks to the great uh, tooling of Google Analytics and some other services, if it's a small question or a small ask, usually you can just go to some quick interface and get the answer to the question without actually doing a lot of the uh, technical grunt work. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, can you share an example of, uh, you know, going back to the point that you made that how 
analytics has to be insightful analytics otherwise it's not really of any use can you give an example of a good versus a bad question which would help you arrive at that insightful metric sure thing and it's usually not the question itself it's the what's going is the what can be done with that question um so you could ask the same thing how many people are coming to our website and if the question itself is just uh how many people are coming to our website and you just get a number that's not really insightful that I mean that's you haven't you know there's no plan of action there's no there's no next step there's like somebody just somebody leaves going oh okay versus somebody going how many people are coming to our website i want to assess is that sufficient to drive the hmm. uh, number of signups for our service that we need and if it's not then we need to look into creating new methods of acquiring customers that's an actual question that has a decision tree that follows it which allows people to take action so then when you present the number you have like a benchmark and uh, you have a benchmark number you can say higher lower how much higher how much lower and then somebody can actually do something because now you know that there's a like there's you know what the next step is makes sense yeah so can you also share examples of the sort of metrics that you measured in this particular example uh sure so we measured a couple of things of course you measure the number of people coming to the site if uh, it doesn't matter how good your site's designed uh, no one's coming to the website uh the it can't really give give you anything um we also measured things there's a general and there's a general website analytics term called bounce rate and it's basically the number of people who come to your website and leave immediately so they never click another page they just click that x button or go to google.com or something like that right away um there is the conversion rate um so with our service you can sign up at on the website for us um so there is the concept of if you landed on our website, you know, this is, did you actually become a customer? And then there's things like length on uh, length of time spent on the site and different people measure that differently. You could measure it in the number of pages, some web, like web pages somebody viewed, or you can measure it in the actual amount of time they spent on the website. Mm-hmm. And each of those have different merits. Um, for example, if you want to see if somebody's really exploring your website, um, say if like if Facebook wants to see if somebody's really engaging with Facebook, um, they're more interested in the actual number of pages you click mm. um, in that sense because that's a that's a statement of you are an active user, not like a, you're not passively using the service. Right. Versus time in the service just means how much share of your time did I get, and which is an important metric, but it's they're, they're measuring two different things. Right, right, that makes sense. And in this case. How are the teams structured? So, you know, are you working by yourself? I mean, and I'm sure that varies depending on how big the project is. Uh, but who are the who are the sort of stakeholders that you're working with? And sure. I guess I'm just basically trying to understand, you know, on a typical project, who are the key people involved that you are interfacing with? Right. So there's a, so there's going to be the team that owns the results from the metrics that you're pulling. They're always going to be involved. Um, so if this is a website uh, question in this particular case, that's actually specifically targeted towards um, people signing up. Then the person who is responsible for driving sign up, our, our sign up numbers is going to be uh, like who's in charge of our signups is going to be the person who is going to be involved as well as the person who's just in responsible for designing the website. They may not be the same two people, but this immediately impacts their business, their, their element of the business. So they're both involved. Um, 
but also it's not just the two people who own the final result, um, but it's also people who are going to be acting on those results. Um, you don't just present the finding. You also have to then sometimes help coordinate um, what the next steps are. And so, for example, in this case, uh, we have our, there's a person who manages our website design team who's involved because any changes that we recommend have to be vetted to are we able to do them and like how soon can we do them. Hmm. Um, so you need somebody who's a little bit more operationally minded, um, usually for the bigger projects that are going to have big actions taken. You're going to have somebody like that involved. Hmm. And then from there, it just depends on the scale. Usually you're almost always going to have those people. Um, but then you might also have executive leadership if it's a state of the company kind of analysis, hmm. or you're going to have uh, finance involved if it, the recommendation is investing uh, a large sum of money in, say, Google AdWords or something hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but based on what you described, it sounds like it's a lot of people from product, whether it's a product manager or a user experience designer, those those sort of functions. Uh, yes. And I think that's just kind of the nature of like the industry we're in is that yeah. it's very that we're very it's very product driven. And so, yes, there's that element. And the idea is that you could have some brand people sometimes from the customer advocacy. It just depends on the uh the nature of the project. Right, 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 right. So can you describe a typical day for us? Like if I were to run into you, what would I find uh, you doing? Yeah, sure. So uh, it really depends on the day, but I will say that there is a good enough weekly cadence that I can kind of manage that. Um, so uh, generally speaking, most analytics teams uh, across the board, and marketing analytics is no exception, have a set of usually weekly metrics that they're reporting on. Um, So you're usually going to have a day or so of either putting that information together, reviewing that information with the people of the responsible parties, or actually verifying information um, or taking next step actions based off of just those, uh, that basic weekly metrics pack. So like, um, there's a state of the marketing uh, mm-hmm. metrics pack that we send out that kind of summarizes the big initiatives that we had in the previous week and are they effective, are they not effective, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so there's usually some time doing those things. Then the next step is usually, and a big chunk of the time, is usually being involved in actually reading through data for a large project. And actually what I mean by reading through is not like reading line by line, um, but doing different, like creating different views of information so that you can actually uh, make sure that the recommendation and the analysis that you're doing is an informed one mm-hmm. um, so that you're not presenting, that you're not presenting a false answer. Mm-hmm. Like it's, this is 40% likely, but then you realize you're looking at it wrong and your model's wrong and maybe it's 30% more likely. And so there's those kinds of things that you're doing. And then the the third major bucket that you're uh, spending your time doing is usually involving meeting and coordinating for the next uh, projects that you have. So while you're doing your analysis and you're very focused on these large projects that you're working on, uh, you know that the business doesn't stop. So you also have to be keeping your pulse on what are the needs that are coming up for the coming up for you. Um, and so you need to be coordinating with the right uh, people to make sure that you're, you know, you're ready to catch the next analysis when it's time. 
Right. So, so basically, it's sort of three sorts of activities. There is a uh, some analysis that you need to do to track your your sort of Uber marketing metrics. Uh, mm-hmm. There's of course analysis specific to the project that you're working on, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then sort of this coordination and meetings uh, to sort of uh, with various stakeholders on I'm sure a variety of topics. So, I mean, if you were to think about your time in the form of a pie. And you were to take a typical project or a period of time on the job, how, how would you split that time amongst these various activities? Uh, sure. So the first one, which is the the baseline metrics, I'd say can be yeah, ten to twenty percent depending on the week. Um, if it's a if it's a light week with no big changes, uh, like no surprises or anything like that, like the business is just running, it's ten percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but Every now, you know, you, you're going to get surprises sometimes that you're going to have to do some extra work into um, and have some extra conversations about and do some extra analysis on. Um, so it could be up to 20 percent. And I'd say I'd say bet on one in every five days. And then what I would say is then probably another 40 to 50 percent will be spent on the analysis that you're currently working on. Right. Um, because that's, you know, the that's the bread and butter, yeah. those are the big home runs. And then you have the remaining where are we? We're at about somewhere between 50 and 60 percent. And I'm actually doing that math wrong. That's bad of an analyst person, but we'll stick with it. The remaining percent, that remaining 30 to 40 percent will uh, be roughly spent doing the planning and the coordination. And that usually depends on that's usually not a reflection of how much work the coordination is. It's just usually a reflection of how much time you've already put into the thing, the the weekly metrics and the current analysis will dictate how much time you have for the uh, the planning ahead. Right, 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 right. So how is the success of someone in this job uh, assessed? That's an interesting question because, uh, you know, there's the, there's the idea of you don't want to be wrong um, with the, the analytics. Like you don't want to make a recommendation and find out that it's uh, – that your recommendation actually was worse than what we were doing before. <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, it's kind of it's kind of understood that you know you're 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 assessing an experiment, and an experiment can show some results that aren't actually reflective of the whole world. Um, you know, I can see five people who say the sky is green, and if I say the sky is green because I only all hundred percent of the people I surveyed said it was, it doesn't mean I did the analysis wrong. It just means that I surveyed the wrong five people. And so there's the, there's so it's it's really like a that's like an internal measure like you don't want to be wrong, um, but the real things that you met that really determine somebody's success is the a bit like are you return are you returning analysis timely so you you know some projects shouldn't take a month to do um, are you returning analysis timely and and is the reasoning sound and is the math sound. Those are the three main things that are somebody is assessed on, and it usually so usually it's a matter of confidence. If you were to ask somebody's manager, were they good at the job? Mm-hmm. Um, of how confident somebody is, how good is somebody is at those three things? So, it, it, what's interesting to me is that those are highly qualitative. Sorry, not qualitative, quantitative metrics. So it's very much about is your analysis really good, and you've used the right logic, and uh, you're looking at the right data, and Mm-hmm. stuff like that what about like is, is there ever or i don't i don't know if it's part of someone who's in marketing analytics but is there an element of convincing people that this is the right insight because let's say what if you come in and have an insight which is completely different from what 
the product manager has been optimizing for. Oh, yes. Okay. So I guess I should add in those three things are important, but the most important thing is your ability to communicate those three things. Um, uh, you also have to be able to like, not just not, it's not just a matter of is your math right? And is your logic right? And are you timely? But that you can convince, say, a product manager or a product marketing manager or a brand uh, campaign manager um, that that the analysis is right and that the math is right and that the things that they were prioritizing might need to be reprioritized. Um, and so there is a big element of communication um, that you, that is really what's used to determine somebody's how good somebody is at those three things I mentioned, I previously mentioned. Right. Because I'm sure that's what is a big element in your sort of performance reviews, so to say, right? <laughs> that, you know, are, are, are people sort of taking action on your insights? Exactly. Right. So in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of this job? Uh, so the most interesting thing to me, like the absolute most interesting thing is that the possibility that you can change a previously core held belief of, an, of a company. I think that is what excites me the most about it. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're pulling data, somebody, you know, somebody can say that, I'll just use a loose example from, from my time here at Twilio, that all developers go to a certain page on the website. If you're coming to Twilio as a customer and you have a, you're a skilled programmer, uh, you're going to go to this group of pages for sure. And that can be a core held belief. And what we can find is, no, developers are a little bit more varied um, in that, you know, you know, a lot of them do go 70%, but there's a 30% who go somewhere else, who don't go to that page, but they still succeed as customers with us. And so you can change the conversation to, to where it's not, where you can take sweeping generalizations and actually refine them to be like, no, there's a big pool of people who do something different. You need to think about them differently. You need to treat them like in accordance with what they want to do. Um, so you get to, there's the, the, uh, the ability to shift par- that's the word I was looking for paradigms mm-hmm. of, uh, of, uh, you know, your organization. I think that's the most, that's the most interesting to me thing to me. And then the second most interesting thing to me is, uh, just, uh, the continued learning. The expectation is, is that you're always, you're always learning. Um, and you're always learning how to use something. Uh, it's frustrating, but it's great that there are so many tools being built for analytics. Um, um, and there's so many different queries, like so many different data storage systems. There's MemSQL, uh, MySQL, NoSQL. I don't even know what NoSQL really means because it doesn't make <laughs> sense to me, but it's a thing. Um, so there's always opportunity. There's always opportunities to learn because people are always trying to optimize analytics like nobody's business. Yeah, these are, these are great points. And it sort of goes back to what you said in the beginning that what attracted you to analytics is this notion of how you can use data to really shine a light on things which people might not be thinking about. And that's exactly, exactly what you're saying. Uh, what What is your favorite tool? Generally, what tools are you spending most time in? Uh, so, there, so my favorite tool. Hmm. I have a favorite. Okay. So my favorite tool, and it's not, it's a scripting, it's a, it's a script, uh, a scripting language, uh, R is my favorite thing. Oh, yeah. And to be honest with you, I did, I had never used it, uh, before coming to Twilio. And it was one of those things that I, I was, you know, you go to work and you learn how to use Excel. So, you know, life on it, you know, you, you can do Excel better than anybody ever did Excel in the history of mankind if you went to work. <laughs> 
Um, and then uh, you, uh, I found out that R is so much better than Excel in so many ways, except for graphing. R is better than Excel in every single way of life. And so it became my favorite thing. There, I don't, I, I don't use pivot tables in Excel anymore because I can do. I'm so is, R is so much more flexible once they, once I learned how to use it. Um, so it's easily the best thing I've learned, and it's the the probably the thing that I absolutely will transfer with me to the next job I have. Right. So you know, this highlights an important point that this is. Or it, it could be a slightly technical role. I mean, it reminds me a lot about data science. So we'll get to this because, you know, we do have a section where we'll talk about sort of skills needed and all of that. But I'll just sort of make a note of that. All right. Sure thing. So are there things that you do not like about this job? Uh, yes. And it's it kind of goes to what you were talking about, about the convincing people. And I don't mind the convincing people part, but there is an element of it. Um, there's an element, and this is not just in marketing analytics. This is seen in every form of analytics. And it's really the nature of, uh, of if somebody has a belief that they've been acting on and they've worked on it long enough, it's, it's, they, it's sometimes the conversation isn't about the facts. It's about this is my baby. <laughs> um, how dare you tell me that my baby is uh, ugly? Yeah. And as a new parent, I tried to not use that metaphor, but it worked. Um, um, but it's very much the element of there's a, there's sometimes a lot of resistance, especially when you're recommending uh, serious change or you're saying something's not working. Um, and so it's the most frustrating part is when uh, you know what you're recommending is correct and you know that the person on the other end of the conversation is coming from a personal standpoint rather than a logical or reasonable standpoint, not reasonable, but reasoning standpoint, I should say, um, that makes it, that can be frustrating at times. That would be my least favorite thing. But fortunately, most of the time people are uh, open to, uh, at least, you know, thinking through the, the points that you're making, if you are able to convince them that you've thought it about it correctly. Right. Have you found any strategies as particularly helpful when you run into situations like that? Uh, yeah. So I have a I have a term called a win, and um, I use it. People get tired of me using it, but it's my way of defining success before we even do the analysis. And so what I mean by that is I get buy-in on from the stakeholders on what if you know if what they believe is correct or what they think what they hypothesize is correct. And we're did we're successful. What should I see as a result of and from my analysis? And I say, so like, what are our wins? Like, what if we're doing this right and we're winning? What should it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so that at the end of the day, we're all committing to numbers. Um, and so when those numbers don't show up, or they or they show up more than we were expecting, um, it's not an argument of uh, it's not a, like we all agreed on we all agreed on these things going into it. Um, so it makes it easier to have the conversation afterwards because we already had the pre-conversation of what our theories and what our beliefs and what our feelings were. So can, can you share an example? I'm not sure I 100% understood. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, so I'll actually use an example from uh, hmm, the best example is actually probably not from uh, my specifically marketing analytics that comes to mind, but from when I was working in video games. Um, and there was a game design question and it was about... Uh, 
getting characters to getting your character to reach a certain level in the in like a skill in a game. And there was a theory that if we designed the game a certain, if we des- if we designed the leveling system a certain way, uh, we should be able to see a lot more people reaching, say, level ten um, faster. Um, and so, what I th- what I asked when they when they were starting to create these hypotheses and everything like that was like, well, let's be a little bit more specific. What are we, what are we think is going to happen? Do we think we're going to see? hundred percent of people reaching level 10 do we think we're going to see 10 percent of people reaching level 10 um like how much like let's let's start thinking let's give ourselves a range of what a what a success looks like if we do this do we think like 10 to 20 10 to 50 and so we start agreeing on um ranges that we're expecting things to happen hmm. um and so what then happens is then i can go do my analysis i can come back and say were we within that range and if we're not then the question is, then it's not a question of feeling or thought. Like, it's not a question of like feeling or I gut see. feeling. I it's see. more of a conversation of, uh, of, whoa, this is different. Okay. Um, now we can just ask, we can start talking about the why. I see. I see. So you're, you're pivoting the discussion to not challenging someone's beliefs, but literally making it very, very, a, a very data-based conversation. Exactly. Okay. All right. Have you seen people make any mistakes on this job? You know, common mistakes that you found people make in this space, maybe when they're early on in their careers? Uh, there is, there are some common mistakes. Um, so uh, there is one common mistake is not knowing when to, uh, when to challenge uh, a previously held belief. And so what I mean by that is there's twofold. Um, there's when you it's your first job, it's your first job in analytics. Sometimes you might be inclined to uh, agree with uh, previously held uh, concepts. So you go into certain analyses with a bias in mind, and you may look for results that confirm your bias because you the company's already told you that 30% of people like uh, this kind of oatmeal. So when you're looking for 30% of people liking that kind of oatmeal. Or you get the opposite of somebody, or you get the opposite of the exact opposite of that, of somebody looking for the uh, for the golden goose. Um, so, for example, uh, we have a site, we have a part of our website that's dedicated to people who don't have programming experience. Uh, the whole idea is to help them find somebody who can help them use our services effectively. And so, there've been some theories about how to optimize that. And when I looked into that web, when I looked into that page on our website how do I say this? It could be easy for me to like, look for, look for, what's the word? Look for this smoking gun, like this Mm -hmm. one little comma Mm -hmm. that could change that, that that for some reason, you know, has this weird statistical anomaly that uh, I can prove will uplift us by uplift our, uh, our install, our signup number by uh, say 200%. That's a very unreasonable thing, but I'm looking, I'm, looking for this magic smoking gun that's going to just solve all of life's problems that nobody's ever thought about. Mm-hmm. And so you start hunting down things that don't necessarily have value. Mm-hmm. I guess that that's probably common for anyone who is early in their jobs or like it's a new job. You want to find that one thing <laughs> that's going to change everything. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, all want to be Michael Jordan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, have I mean... You, you're still, you know, uh, you know, it's not like you've been doing this for a long time, but have, mm-hmm. has, do you think there are any common misconceptions uh, misconceptions that people might have who are outside the field, things that now, you know, are not true? 
Uh, yeah, there, there, well, there's two that immediately come to mind. Um, and I think you, you mentioned this earlier. Um, so I, I'll bring this up now. Is it analytics and data science are in fact, two different things. Okay. Um, <laughs> most people, yeah, most people look in, uh, most people see analytics and they hear big data and they just assume that analytics and data science are exactly the same thing. Yeah. And they're not necessarily the same thing. Data science is a more specialized form of actually understanding how to morph information to uh, to do more complicated math I and mean, do more complicated like clustering and groupings and doing these doing advanced predictions um, and doing text and analysis like these very advanced thing techniques that you can use to approach data that you know are a skill in and of itself that I do not have um, Versus analytics is actually more of an application of findings. So mm-hmm. it's like getting findings, but it's more about being able to apply findings to whatever is relevant to you, um, be that marketing, be, be that uh, operations, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first one. And then the second misconception, which I think is just as prevalent, is some people think of analytics like they think of consultants in the sense that you kind of get in, you make your recommendations, and <laughs> you're out. Um, and most good analytics teams that I've seen have some stake in actually, you know, uh, making sure that their recommendations deliver. So that could be, uh, that could be actually coordinating the next steps, or it could just be something as simple as, you know, I'm going to create the metrics that we're going to track to make sure that whatever you do based off of my previous analysis actually yields results. Right. Um, so that we all, so that we continually have some skin in the game in terms of actually keeping a, a keeping the ship afloat. Right. That makes sense. So it's like an ongoing engagement as opposed to just get out after the recommendation. Exactly. And in terms of the just sort of growth in this role, what does that career progression look like? Uh, sure. So it could look like a variety of things. So you you know you start out as an analyst. Um, and from an analyst, you can you can grow to be an ultimate individual contributor, um, where you become very specialized. Um, so you can be like you're probably going to start as a general analyst, and then you might determine in this individual contributor route that uh, that you really like. Uh, I'll just say you really like uh, revenue expansion. You really like understanding um, how customers how to grow revenue with a specific group of customers. Um, and then you can, so you can create a path for yourself in a lot of companies where you become the go-to expert for revenue expansion analytics. And like, that's your, that's your field and you become a, that's your, yes, your arena. So you become a senior analyst with a very specific focus, mm-hmm. um, versus the alternative is there is, you know, uh, there is the management element of it. There is the progression to where you're not just um, focused on the individual analyses, but the actual coordination planning of um, planning of the analysis and what's next. And then from there, it's actually then determining um, resources for analysis, like what tools do we use? Um, how, you know, planning out the staffing and all those kinds of things that come along with it. So there's usually, usually there's two routes. And then there is, um, in terms of if you want to stay in analytics and then there's the third route which is people who be through analytics determine their what their passion is 
that's not analytics and they go do that. So we have a lot of, you have a lot of people who work in analytics and eventually go into product management or eventually go into uh, growth um, because they did a lot of analysis um, right. on specific projects. And then they found that they really like those things that they worked on and they want to go do that full time. Yeah, growth sounds like a very good fit because I, th- I think that growth as a function has a lot of element of analysis because you're exactly. sort of trying to do a lot of the same things. And I guess the, the skills that you're building are very, uh, they're very uh, transferable to pretty much anything because you're learning how to analyze data and derive insights from it, which I think exactly. now almost every job needs. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and and it's, yeah, it's very transferable in the general sense. And then not only that, but as you, as you work in a more focused space, you then begin to uh, like have domain expertise in that area. Right, 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 right. So now just a couple of questions from the point of view of someone who is who might be interested in doing this also. So um, can you, you know, if let's say someone is trying to figure out, hey, is this a good fit for me? Do you think there are three to five skills or qualities that really stand out amongst people who are good at this job? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the first is uh, comfort with numbers. Uh, it's the biggest part of the job, um, especially at the entry level. Um, so you don't necessarily have to immediately be the best mathematician. But while you're studying to get there, um, you should be you, sh- you should be comfortable and interested in actually getting to that getting to that stage. And then I'd say being open to uh, learning uh, languages in terms of scripting and programming um, is important. So either having a baseline of previous programming experience or um, being willing to be to, uh, what's the word, teach yourself mm-hmm. um, to actually be able to do those scripting languages is very important. And then um, communication is absolutely important. And both visual, uh, visual, verbal, and uh, I mean, yes, visual and verbal. Uh, being able to write effective emails to summarize your, summarize your findings and summarize your recommendations. Uh, knowing how to present data is incredibly important. Um, I know a lot of people don't know this, uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you should not be showing on a pie chart that a lot of people show on pie charts. <laughs> um, and so like, no, like actually understanding what visualization actually is best for communicating your information is incredibly important because that's a lot of people aren't good with numbers, but a lot of people are good with pictures. And if you show them a picture that can, you know, that, that they'll, they'll, um, they'll analyze a picture in a heartbeat. And if you show them the wrong picture, they will analyze it correctly incorrectly um and then the verbal side of actually being able to convince and persuade and uh get agreement with people um those are the three main oh and then the fourth one you said 35 so i'm going to give the fourth (laughs) one and that's curiosity um a big opportunity for a lot of analysts and where a lot of analysts that i've seen um even in where i actually had a lot of opportunity myself is actually when you find something that's a little odd just it doesn't have to be hugely odd, but just a little odd that uh, in your spare time or when you have some free time that you're willing to go like look into it and see if there's uh, see if there's something there that's an opportunity that might not necessarily pan out, but might have some value that you can then use later or present later to people to help them do their job better. Yeah. And uh, do you think it's also important to have a fundamental understanding of 
I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, because there is so much data today, right? You, you mm-hmm. can go crazy analyzing all sorts of data. So you, mm-hmm. I'm sure you need to have some sort of gut feel or sense for where to look. Uh, sort of. I'll say that that is, it's, how do I say this? It's good to have as you progress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily absolutely necessary at the start of things. Um, the the better candidates will already have it. I will absolutely say that. But you can develop that over time. I think because that's usually something that comes with experience. Mm-hmm. And the worry that I have with it is that we're going, going back to those mistakes that people make. Sometimes people have these gut feels because they came from jobs in certain industries. And so they think they know. And then it turns out that they're ignoring data that they should be, right. they should be uh, right. including. Right, right, right. Okay. And, and just on the second thing that you mentioned, which is openness to learning new languages. So can you tell us, you know, so clearly, we're not just talking about, you know, I, you know, I'm analyzing, let's say 1000 rows in Excel, because that, you know, mm-hmm. mostly anyone can do that. So right. uh, what is the typical data set size that you're analyzing? Um, so it varies, but uh, I'm I can go up to millions of rows of data, hmm. um, sometimes even tens of millions. I personally don't have a lot of projects that go much more than that. I've done a few, but not a lot. I wouldn't say that's typical. But yes, I have I've gone definitely most of my, especially when hmm. you're dealing with website traffic, I've gone to millions of rows of data for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. It won't even fit in a single Excel spreadsheet. So, uh, what? Oh, I tried. It takes forever. It takes about a day for it just to load. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are the two kind of tools that you use for analysis? Going back to that language element, um, yeah. I'd say that it's really important for you to have, uh, to be able to, to have learned or have, to have taught yourself R and or Python. Those are definitely necessary to actually do analysis of data at the uh, scale. There are tools that you can use that are like user interface, like graphical user interface tools that simplify it. But what I will say is that you don't want to become too dependent on those because not every job's going to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's better to know the languages. Um, and I've yet to find an analytics team that uses something other than R or Python to do a lot of this analysis. And then I will say um, SQL is knowing how to query um, SQL is pretty important. Not do not make or break for some jobs, but it's pretty important for most. Um, It's how you actually access a lot of data. And that's how you can um, take tens of millions of rows of data and query it so that it's only 100,000 rows or something like that. It just helps simplify it before you can do the deep analysis. And then uh, in terms of other tools, there's usually a lot of visualization software out there. Um, And that's how you make your fancy graphs and stuff. Uh, Microsoft has their Power BI. Uh, Tableau is a very popular one. Um, But I mean, a lot of people still like they'll do their analysis and simplify it to a point where they can get it in Excel or PowerPoint. Hmm. That works too. Right, right. The, you know, I wouldn't have guessed it, but it sounds like a lot of your analysis is actually programming, like you're writing code. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it actually is. I was, I wouldn't have guessed it either myself when I first started, but, yeah. uh, it's morphed over that the more comfortable I've gotten and the more deep I've wanted to go with my, uh, with my career that I've moved away from, uh, uh, just simple looking at numbers and doing math, but actually writing scripts and stuff, uh, to, uh, to make my life a lot easier. Right. 
what is the typical background for this role then? Uh, so the typical background is either somebody who has a data science degree, a statistics degree, um, something like that, but yeah. they are programming sometimes if they don't want to necessarily go into development. But I will say I know a lot of people who didn't do that. Um, I'm not, a, I, Lord knows it. I wasn't a programmer in college. I barely passed my programming classes. Um, and uh, I know I work with somebody who's a biology major. I am one of my, one of my close friends who's in, who did marketing analytics was an eco- economics major. So it's really, uh, it's really less about the, the schooling and it's more about just do you have those skills? Like, have you have you learned Python? Have you learned R? Have you learned SQL? Like, do you know the tools needed to do the job less than, like, necessarily what your professional experience has been? Right, 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 right. And an MBA definitely does not seem like a prerequisite. Uh, no, yeah. no. Um, I am the only person at my level on my team with an MBA. The anomaly, (laughs) yeah. So uh, are there any resources that you recommend both for people who are interested in learning some of these tools and then also for things like interview prep? Uh, Sure. So I will say uh, iTunes U, uh, the Apple, if you have Mm -hmm. Apple, they have actually a very good Python Python lesson plan. I wish I remember the name of it, but it's like the first or second one that you, if you type in Python um, into it, it's the first or second one that comes up. I would definitely recommend that if you're just trying to learn the tools, mm. um, start with that because I say more people use more people use Python than use R. Um, so it's definitely a great one to pick, and I know there's a good resource there. And in terms of actually just learning about the field, um, I'm trying to think what's a great resource. There are a lot of podcasts out there that talk about just the the ins and outs of analytics hmm. um, and being an analyst and what that life is like. And uh, there's a consumer analytic cast, the data science, data science imposters, um, just to name two. And then there's some data visualization podcasts out there that I would recommend anybody listen to because they really they really help you understand how to best communicate information. Right. Data science imposters. That's an interesting name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So is there a way for someone to, going back to the question of, you know, I'm trying to figure out, is this a good fit for me? Uh, So, you know, of course, I can take a full-time job and see if I like Mm -hmm. it. But other than that, are there ways for me to get some sense for, will I enjoy doing this or not? Uh, Yes. So um, there's a couple of things that you can ask yourself that'll really help start. Um, Are you comfortable with people seeing your work? That's the first question. Um, and it sounds like a silly question, but mm-hmm. the role of somebody in analytics is to show their work. And if they show their work right, it will be spread past them. So you have to be comfortable with people seeing the work that you've done and not just seeing the end results, but actually seeing the work itself so that they can be comfortable with what you're showing them. Um, the next question is, you know, do you like convincing people to, to, to do to do things? Not like manipulating them, but do you like... <laughs> Um, the art of persuasion in terms of your job. And then do you like numbers? Uh, I can't stress, can't stress that one <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah. So those are like the, those are like the checklist of questions to ask yourself. Yeah. Um, but then I'd say the the next best thing to see if you would really like the work is to, to, to do, to create scenarios for yourself. So like say, um, 
there's a lot of information that's publicly available. Uh, Facebook and Twitter both have, and this requires you to know Python, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but if uh, you can access a lot of their data, um, like about uh, like how many people are tweeting about this or how many people are, uh, are uh, you know, posting, st- like are writing on, on this, uh, about this TV show or something like that. And you can do a whole lot of analyses on your own to kind of like see, you know, is there a correlation between people who watch Justified on FX who also watch Western, who tweet about Western movies? And like you can create questions for yourself and go on Facebook and Twitter and do a whole bunch of analysis to see if there's something there. And, you know, they're silly, but they actually do develop the skills that you need to be an analyst. That's interesting. Have you have you done this sort of analysis by yourself? Uh, I I did it a couple of times. I'm a movie fan and I have a, I do a lot of analysis on movies because I religiously watch movies. What's, what's, a, what's, what's one uh, crazy or counterintuitive thing that you found? Uh, so what was I going to say? Um, that the longer a movie is, the higher likely it is to have a good rating on IMDb. It's not much higher likely, but it's slightly higher likely to be, have a good rating on IMDb. If oh, really? Really long. Interesting. Yeah. And, yeah, and it just goes like when you think about it, Lord of the Rings, Godfather, like there are a lot of long movies that are really highly rated on. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is English movies in the US only or globally? Uh, you know, I've only focused on I have a couple of foreign movies, but my foreign movie exposure is very limited, so it's predominantly Okay. All right. <laughs> so, if if let's say I want to apply for a marketing uh-huh. analyst position, First of all, is there a way for me to assess whether, uh, and of course, we're talking about tech companies here, but is there a way for me to assess whether the role and the function is good at that company while I'm recruiting? Uh, that's a great question, actually. And um, yes and no. Um, so it's hard to say. It's it's really tough to say for sure um, just because you know, when people create postings, they there's a lot of puffery in the postings mm. um, for a lot of companies about, you know, ex- they use a lot of the same terminology that really makes it really hard to suss details. But you can look for keywords that might describe what they're specifically going to want you to analyze. Um, they might say, you know, our conversion funnel, which would imply that they want you to assess um, how people are coming to the service and how people are actually becoming customers of the service. They could be saying they want, uh, they might say the word NPS, which is net promoter score, which is um, assessing um, how, how people feel about, uh, how pe- how likely someone is to recommend um, a company. Um, so you can look up for keywords about specifically what they want to analyze and then do some research on what those things are and see if those are things that interest you. Hmm. It's, I mean, my, my question sort of assumed that there is something like the you know the role is good or not so good at a company do you do you see that that what i'm trying to drive at is that sometimes you know there are certain roles which are you know more of a decision making position so uh, you know you can sort of safely assume that if you're a product manager at a company as, mm-hmm. at least as far as tech is concerned you will have some decision making power now of you course. know if it's like a not, not a good company you know your role is not going to be good that's a different issue but you know mm-hmm. that that's sort of the nature of the role um, a lot of these roles, which are more of an influence sort of roles, right? They can sometimes be very empowered in some companies and not so empowered 
at other companies. So is there a way to assess that? Oh, okay. So I, okay. With that in mind, I guess the best way to say is not necessarily in the posting. And the reason why is generally speaking, um, most analytics postings will portray an influence driven Hmm. um, opportunity. Very few uh, just specifically call out that you're going to be doing uh, general reporting and Hmm. not necessarily be an influencer. Um, But what I have found is that services like Glassdoor um, do have some good information for companies of a certain size um, that'll give you a sense of how they generally feel about their analysts. Um, so that you can then assess, does, is this a company that views its analysts as uh, as influencers or is this, are, there, are these people purely there to answer number questions? Right, 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 right. Um, so it's usually you can find that on external services, but the posting itself, they're just generally driven. They're, they're usually just generally driven to imply, uh, Influ- what do you call it, that you're going to be an influencer. Right, yeah, yeah. All right. So... In terms of the actual application itself, what's the best way to apply? Like most other places, a referral or a recommendation is always going to be best. But applying online is fine. Um, I've gotten, you know, my my opportunity with Twilio, I got through specifically an online application. Um, so it does, can happen. Um, but um, what I would say is what's most important is that on if you're going to do the online route, that you that you specifically make sure that your resume identifies the tools and programming languages and skills that you have. The skill section will make or break a lot of people in, a, in marketing analytics. Hmm. Um, if they don't see certain keywords, they won't look at you. And the keywords are similar to the tools that you mentioned, you know, knowledge of exactly. SQL and R and all of these things. Okay. Exactly. I guess if, you, if you've done projects, that you can like I know that data scientists they they regularly take part in contests on websites like Kaggle so mm-hmm. um is is there something like that for for marketing analytics or related um I'm not sure if there's anyone specifically marketing analytics related mm-hmm. um but what you will find is that there are people who are in marketing analytics who participate in those other ones mm-hmm. um and so yes participation in those projects is phenomenal people uh, a lot of companies would be excited that you participated and or placed in those kind of competitions for sure right or you know maybe you have a blog where you've listed the kind of insights that you know hey longer the movie the better it's rated on imdb <laughs> those kind of things i guess probably demonstrate your your interest in the field exactly and that's actually a growing uh that's actually a growing thing that's going on in the field is that there are more and more people actually doing the blogging so it's almost like one of those things that if you are looking, if you know that you're going to be looking for an opportunity in the next year, I definitely recommend you uh, uh, start blogging. I wouldn't recommend you start, you create a blog and then apply to something tomorrow um, <laughs> just because of the fact that you won't necessarily, like if they go to your blog, it won't necessarily look the best. Yeah. Um, but if you've got time, I would definitely recommend doing it. And how important is the cover letter? Uh, cover letter... Uh, not super important. Um, there are certain places that are going to be excited to see it, um, but I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, the cover letter is uh, like most other co- well, most other people think of cover letters. Yeah. All right. Well, this was great, Ian. Thank you so much. I I learned a lot myself during this discussion. Is there any other advice you'd like to share with people who are interested in this field and 
or you know or even just general career advice uh sure i uh, just did have one last thought is the best way to tell if you are good at presenting logical persuasive arguments is to actually read your own read your own presentation or writing uh when you make these samples and actually start picking at picking at looking look at it to pick holes at it look at things to find flaws and so what you're actually going to end up doing is actually find out all these opportunities to grow and if you look at your look at your presentation and don't find any holes then you're probably not going to be good at empathizing with somebody on the other end of the table and uh, probably then not going to be good at persuading right i i found that that technique works really well especially if um, if you can afford to spend some time or rather you know there's a time gap between when you put together whatever it is and then when you mm-hmm. review it because what happens is that when you put something together you sort of know already what you exactly. thought and why you're seeing something i i sometimes do this with my podcast and that's why i can't bear to listen to my <laughs> early episodes cuz like oh my god what was i doing but uh but when you listen to something after let's say a month or you or you're reviewing something after a few months then you're reading it just like a third person and the flaws become much more apparent absolutely the longer the longer the space between between you and the thing you you worked on yeah. the more objective you're going to be all right thanks a lot ian this this went a little bit over time but i i mean you were sharing very very good details very good insights actionable insights so thank you <laughs> glad to help all right take care bye bye you too bye all right i hope you enjoyed the discussion just before you leave do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website learneducatediscover.com where we share updates on new episodes a lot of career oriented resources and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online so do check it out at learneducatediscover.com you'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website of course if you have any questions at all or if you just want to say hello you can always email us Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye bye